Hey everyone, my name is Nathan Forster, and I'm asking the big questions of authors and activists, scholars and survivors, poets and priests, therapists and theologians, and basically everyone in between. This will be a resource for people who, deep in their bones, think that surely God's kingdom is deeper and wider than the box we've sometimes put it in. And so what better way to discover this than by learning people's stories and their specialities, in order that we deepen and widen our perspective on faith, community, society, and life. So journey with me as we go deeper and wider. In this week's episode, we are going to be speaking with Lisa Sharon Harper on decolonizing the gospel in order to get back to the true gospel proclamation message, or what Lisa calls, and this is also the name of her best-selling book, The Very Good Gospel. For some of our listeners, I know that words such as, quote, decolonizing, quote, might be new to you. It might even be something that sounds worrisome. After all, if we live in a country that has been colonized, and if our family history does come from a European background, then I understand that the language of decolonizing can sound threatening, as if your existence is somehow bad. But be rest assured, decolonizing does not mean your existence is under threat, but it does mean we do have to do things differently so to not carry the ongoing legacy of colonization as we have done. Because this ongoing legacy of colonization has actually threatened the existence of actual people, often people of color and First Nations people of the lands to which we now reside on. All this said, this episode isn't actually about the wider project of decolonization. Rather, this episode more specifically focuses on addressing how sometimes our gospel proclamation can be a domesticated and a colonizing gospel instead of the radical and very good gospel of Jesus Christ that is actually a far better gospel than we first believed. And there's a gospel that is good news for all people. A very good gospel. And so we're going to hear about this gospel by interviewing Lisa Sharon Harper. Lisa Sharon Harper is the founder and president of Freedom Road, a groundbreaking consulting group that crafts experiences that bring common understanding and common commitments that lead to common action towards a more just world. Lisa is a public theologian whose writing, speaking, activism and training has sparked and fed the fires of a reformation in the church from Ferguson and Charlottesville to South Africa, Brazil, Australia and Ireland. Lisa's book, The Very Good Gospel, was named 2016's Book of the Year and the Huffington Post identified Lisa as one of the 50 women religious leaders to celebrate on International Women's Day. So here is today's interview with Lisa Sharon Harper. Tell our listeners about your early encounters with Christian faith. So my earliest encounter with Christian faith was being baptized. Um, I was baptized Episcopalian um, at uh, St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Philadelphia, one of 
one of five major black Episcopal churches in Philadelphia, um, at, at least one of the original five that, that um, came up in Philly. And Philadelphia is a very significant city in that um, the black Episcopal church in many ways as a denomination, or not denomination, but as a stream of the Episcopal church began there mm-hmm. um, in the midst of a protest uh, in the late 1700s with James Fortin and Philip Allen and Absalom Jones, who went to go, they knelt down um, at the prayer altar at a Methodist, um, Methodist Episcopal you know, church, a Methodist, Methodist church, and they were not allowed to kneel at the altar. And, and so what they decided to do was to do a walkout. They couldn't, they couldn't kneel at the altar, they couldn't pray with others because they were black. Oh my so goodness. they did a walkout, yeah, exactly. They staged a walkout, and um, so all the black folk left that church, and then they started, um, not a denomination, but they started their own gathering, and that gathering split into two, two of the first major streams of the black church in the United States. The first stream was the African Methodist Episcopal Church, and the Mm -hmm. other stream was the black Episcopal Church. So my family was in the black Episcopal Church. and um, and that was Absalom Jones, and it was and and James Fortin was also Black Episcopal. So James Fortin was uh, one of the biggest funders of the abolitionist movement, and he might have actually been family, <laughs> literally. Yeah, right. like, wow. Actually, literally, he might have actually been related. He might be related to us, um, uh, like a distant, distant cousin. Um, mm-hmm. But that said, that church at St. Luke's was connected to to my elementary school, and that's how I ended up getting baptized. And I remember standing, you know, standing on, um, on the little pedestal that gives a child enough height to be able to have their head kind of rest over the little baptismal, and then the water going yeah. over my face. And but that was literally one of the only times we ever went to church. <laughs> Ever. Oh really? Um, really? Oh my okay. God! Yeah, we were not we were not a church going family. My mom it turns out when she was my age at that time, when she was a little girl, mm. she went to church every single week and loved it. She loved Sunday school. She went through the whole catechism in the Black Episcopal Church in Philadelphia, Saint Simeon's Church, I believe, was the name of the church that she went to for most of her childhood, and that was also that was one of the original um, uh, big big five um, Episcopal churches in America, actually. Mm. And um, and but she lost that. She she actually walked away from that faith in the 1960s and 70s, mainly because I didn't. She didn't see the church responding to the call for civil rights movement, and so she joined the civil rights movement instead. And she was a part of SNCC, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. So so going to get baptized was it was like a a surreal experience actually. Yeah. I uh, I never forgot that, but we never really went on any with any regularity, and instead we went like every other Easter on a good year. You know what yes. I mean? So yes. we would show up with the masses on Easter, on a good year, and on the off years we just didn't go. Um, and so it wasn't until I was 14 years old, my parents had divorced, and um, uh, actually 13 years old, my sisters started going to this um, Assemblies of God um, uh, youth group called the mm. Missionettes. <laughs> oh, yeah. That sounds like a, a good AOG name. Yes. They were the, <laughs> they, they were the Missionettes. And my sister, 
um, Holly, she actually won Missionette of the Year. <laughs> um, one of the year. No joke, she won Missionette. I think it was Missionette of the Year or Missionette of the Month. Uh, but because she had memorized the most scripture and she, you know, she had done her, her stuff. She was into it. But I was like a little Saul. I was absolutely persecuting her and my other sister who was part of it. I was just like, you're so corny. And da, 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 da. You know, and they were younger than me just by a year or two. But, you know, they stopped going because I kind of, and I'm sure it wasn't just because of me, but I harassed them enough to feel like, okay, you know, <laughs> I don't want to be harassed anymore. So they, they stopped going. But then the next year I started going to an area-wide youth group that I think was run by Young Life. Yeah, right. It was, it was called Why. And to this day, I'm not really positive of whether it was Why the Word or Why the Letter. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> you know? Um, but but Why was the place where I really kind of met Jesus. And, um, you know, my, my youth group met every week and um, it was over the course of a year, um, and why, and also in a small Wesleyan church that I started to go to, um, where some of the people in why went to this church. And so, um, that I really began to ask the deeper questions, you know, who, what is, who is God? Who is this Jesus person? You guys are talking about him like he lives today. What are you talking about? I don't see him. What's he ever done for me? What is prayer? Mm. Um, and after a year of asking those questions, I decided to walk down the aisle at a Sunday evening camp church meeting mm. at about 9.30 in the evening, August 21st, 1983. Mm. And, um, and, but I, I walked down that aisle in order to just really just to be with my friend who was walking down the aisle, <laughs> but I ended up weeping at the altar too. And so wow. the old lady surrounded me and I joke now that I got into the kingdom by proxy. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I think that happens to the best of us, <laughs> getting into the kingdom that way. <laughs> well, hello. I guess that's true. We all come in through, you know, by somebody else bringing us to the altar. So that's what happened to me. I mean, I will say this, that that in terms of the church, those mm. are my earliest memories. But I have an even earlier memory Yeah. Um, that is actually my grandmother, my grandmother, Willa Lawrence. Um, mm. She She had... She was, you know, an elderly woman by the time that I knew her. She was like in her 60s when mm. I was a little girl and um, not elderly, elderly, but, you know, and she was taking care of her elderly mother who was in her 80s or so mm. and um, uh, who had broken her hip. And so she was, you know, nursing her kind of in her own home. And she used to have somebody from a church visit her um uh, throughout the week or, you know, in the course of the week and just kind of do Bible study with her and pray with her. And I didn't even know all of this. I didn't know what prayer was back then. I just knew yeah, that this yeah. strange person would show up at the house every once in a while. And, um, you know, at, during the summer when I lived with her mm. and, um, uh, and, and, and every night, um, it was always a privilege to, to be able to sleep with grandma. <laughs> <laughs> and whenever mm. I slept with grandma, she always, always ended her day by reading a part of scripture, always. Yeah. And I was so, so we would always just sit up in bed and she would read scripture. And then one day she gave me a Bible. I think about this now and I'm like, oh my God. Yeah, wow. Yeah, you've seen all the threads now. Yeah, I literally didn't realize, I really didn't realize the depth of her own faith. Wow. But she gave me a Bible, and I still have that Bible to this day. It's our family Bible. 
And but my funny thing is it was while I was at St. Luke's in St. Barnabas School, which was attached. And so I always just looked up Luke. That's all I ever did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just looked up the book of Luke because I thought, you know, he's the main man in the Bible because he's the name on my church. So, you know, yes. um, <laughs> so I, I'll look up his book and then yes. I will have done my thing and I can now go to sleep. So I will look up Luke. I feel accomplished and I go to sleep while my grandma was reading the Bible. Oh, wow. Wow, that that's a precious precious legacy to have of, of of your grandma, and then and then of course your your early church experience. What about your early relationship with the gospel? Because I know you have the, the your book, the Very Good Gospel, which by the way I'm reading as part of a book group. But I know you would have had an an early understanding of the gospel that of course shift and changed over time. What was your early relationship with? kind of, quote-unquote, the gospel, what you originally understood the gospel to be before things started to change? Well, I mean, I, I let me tell you, when I went to church and all of that, like when I was mm. a little child and when I got baptized, I had no idea what a gospel was. I didn't know, I didn't know the word existed. Like I just, mm. it was mm. not a word that actually ever came up. It was only when I, um, after I started going to Y, mm. um, in the context of the white evangelical church, um, and then, of course, walked down the aisle that night. And, and then from that point forward, it was all very clear that the gospel was about um, being saved from hell. It was about um, accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior, inviting Christ Jesus into your hearts, like all of those things. That, that, that was clear by the time I walked down the aisle at 14 years old. But it, it, I could not clearly articulate, like, you know, a case for the gospel mm. um, until I was in in college. And it was my freshman year in college. I started going um, to Campus Crusade for Christ at the time. Now it's called Crew in the US. Um, and it that was where I first started to get my clearest articulation of the gospel, which was the four spiritual laws. Mm. You know, and that was that yeah. was at about 17 years old. Between 17 and 18 was my my freshman year. Um, and it was just very clearly, you know, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, but you are sinful and therefore separated from God. But Jesus died to pay the penalty of your sin. So all you need to do is to pray this little prayer at the back of the gold booklet and, you know, you get to go to heaven. So that was that was that was the gospel to me. I mean, that was the gospel to me for a good decade. Yeah. Well, wow. um, okay. actually, probably for a good two decades. Well, yes. about a decade and a half. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. 15 years or so um, from about 1986 till till about the year. Really, the year 2003. So, mm. yeah, almost almost two decades. Yes. Um, yeah. Because it was you know, I was in campus ministry for a while, and it was in the 1990s when we started to actually kind of realize that that articulation of the gospel was not quite working on our college campuses anymore. Mm. Um, you had the tail end of Gen Xers and the beginning of millennials, like right in that mid-1990s time, late 1990s time. And the articulation of the gospel of, as a legal contract, as a, as a, well, as, as a passionless, um, mm, mm. like thing that gets you into heaven just didn't work anymore with yeah. Gen Xers in the U.S., which are very emotive. We were all about community. We were trying to find ourselves, you know, and um, so what ended up actually kind of supplanting that for a while, but still not really completely, was the bridge diagram that came from um, Willow Creek. 
And so the Willow Creek Church, Bill Hybels, developed this bridge diagram that had these two, um, like a, a big gulf between two plateaus. And um, on one side of the gulf was us, and on the other side of the gulf was God. And in the middle of the gulf, that's where all of our brokenness was. Not to, not just our sin, but our brokenness, the things that keep us from God, right? Like the um, abuse that we suffered or... Um, uh, any kind of any kind of brokenness, emotional, mental, run. spiritual, financial, whatever it is, right? And it was it was the cross then that he put in the middle of that to bridge the gulf, so that we could walk across the little the the horizontal line in the cross that bridges the gulf between those two plateaus and gives us an opportunity to be with Jesus. So for I'd say a good decade or so, that became mm-hmm. the the articulation of the gospel um, that was most used within the U.S. But mm. around the time that I went on that pilgrimage in 2003, mm. um, you know, even that wasn't working because we couldn't understand how that worked together with racial reconciliation, as we were calling it then. I think now I would call it racial healing mm. Um, mm. because I don't think we've ever been conciled to be able to be reconciled. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, so racial healing you know, people were just trying to go, how does this integrate with the gospel, with this understanding of how I get to go to be with God, how I get to have relationship with God, and God mm-hmm. takes care of my brokenness. Well, you know, the brokenness piece started to be covered a little bit, or the racism started to be covered a little bit by the bridge diagram, a little. A but little. It's still, but right. Yeah. yeah. It still didn't account for systemic or structural evil yes. at all. Yes. And that's yes. where that's where we were kind of going, okay, what, what is the relationship? And that's what led us to develop the Shalom pilgrimage. Yes. Yes. Now perhaps for people who, who don't know or haven't read the book, cause you do describe that section. You know, I think one of the first chapters where you're confronted with, with the history of, of what happened to, to African-Americans of slavery. And you, you had to face that question for, for yourself as well, what, what is the gospel in light of this, or or what what does my version or current understanding of the gospel offer? So, could you tell us a little bit about that experience? Absolutely. Um, so, I mean, Nathan, this was a really um, uh, it was a kind of a ground shaking time for me. Mm. Um, this this pilgrimage. So, we went on a, on a on a ten state four week pilgrimage <laughs> mm. uh, with 25 people, including children, like the children of families that went on this, wow. on this journey. Yes. Yeah. In one bus. <laughs> wow. One okay. bus. So the kids, you know, they created a little tent city in the back of the bus, which was hilarious. And so that, you know, they were literally like they, they used their pillows to create tents and, and forts and all that kind of stuff. And they, they had the back of the bus and the adults had the middle and the, and the front. And, um, but we had a great time, but it was also, like I said, ground shifting because both parts of that journey were also parts of my own family's history, mm. at least according to our family lore. Um, according to family lore, our family walked the Trail of Tears on my mother's side. Mm. And on my mother's side, another side of my mom's side, on my grandmother's, my mom's mom's side, um, we we were enslaved in nearly every state in the union or every, every state in the south not the union but every state in the south yeah and and so it was very personal um but we encountered two of the most evil 
stories that ever took place on U.S. soil ever, the Cherokee Trail of Tears and African experience of slavery and, um, and, the, and Jim Crow and the mm. struggle for civil rights. And so we, in the course of that time, I began to be kind of um, haunted by the thought of my great-great-great-grandmother. And I just remembered that she was enslaved in South Carolina. Um, and she had 17 children, um, at least according to our family story. I think mm-hmm. we can we know for sure she had 12. And we believe that she had about five before the end of slavery. She was the last adult enslaved woman in our family. Mm-hmm. And um, my grandmother knew her. My grandmother was raised by her wow. by portion wow. of life. Like that's how close slavery yes. is. Yes, goodness. goodness. My grandmother was raised by the last adult slave in our family, wow. um, and she um, she had five husbands, um, three of which we we know by name, and two again might have been unions that she had while in slavery. Mm. Um, so there's no names attached to them. There's only the family stories of them. Um, and we were thinking about this and realizing she must she might have been a breeder. Mm. You know, she might have been one of those people who around the 1840s, 18, 18, well, 1820s, really, 1820s, 30s, 40s, um, the northern south and throughout the south, they started to breed enslaved people. Mm. Um, because, yes, because the Atlantic slave trade shut down. It was shut down in 1808. So in response to that and the need for increased numbers of free labor, um, they started really literally throughout Virginia, especially, but all across the northern south, they started creating breeding farms. I kid you not. Goodness. Where they, where they, where they bred people. Mm. And so in other words, what they really, let's break it down. They forced enslaved black men to rape enslaved black women every day in order to make make new new free labor to sell into the deep south um which was the main market for that that labor and when uh of course it didn't it wasn't only in the northern south because south carolina is the deep south and that's where my great-grandmother was and and there were breeding farms there as well Mm. and so we believe she was a breeder um and so I imagined myself going up to her door and knocking on her door and saying, great, 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 mom, I have good news for you, right? And sharing with her the four spiritual laws. Hmm. And I asked myself, how would she respond? Would, would the message, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, but you are sinful and separated, therefore separated from God, but Jesus died for, the, for your sins, so all you wow. need to do is pray this, pray this prayer and you get to go to heaven. Would that resonate mm. with her? Would that make her jump and shout, right? Would that make her say, yeah, hallelujah? Mm, and I goodness. realized the answer was no. Yeah, goodness, yeah. It absolutely, absolutely categorically make me want to cuss no. Mm. Mm. And because what she, I think what she would have said to me if I had come up to her with that good news is, are you smoking crack? Like, hmm. <laughs> you know, if she lived hmm. in the 1980s in the U.S., she would have said that. Um, you know, are you on? Are you high? Do you not? Do you not see me? Wow. wow. Do you not see? 
yeah. me. And so it was that thought that literally threw me into what is now 17 years of mm. swimming in this concept of shalom. And in particular, where, where I find it most um, clearly, where, the, where, I find, where I find the story most clearly drawn, which is in the book of Genesis. Mm. Mm. Um, and in particular, Genesis 1 and 2 and, and 3. And, um, but you really take it all the way to Genesis 14 and you can see the story. Mm. Um, and, and then you see the impact and the implications of that story throughout all of scripture, all the way to the very last page of the Bible. Yes, yes. Very last page, you know. So, so that I I became depressed for a whole year, um, but I also began to start to articulate this new concept of the Bible, not the mm. Bible, of the gospel, mm. um, to my to my my fellow colleagues within InterVarsity Christian Fellowship at that time. Mm. Um, by that time, I was on staff with them, and that's that was the context of that that pilgrimage. You know, I started to articulate this this idea that I learned in our orientation to Shalom before we before we took the journey, mm. that Shalom is is relational and Shalom is about all the relationships in creation. Mm. But I I hadn't yet done all the biblical work and I hadn't yet done, I hadn't yet I, I still didn't have an, an understanding of of Tov Me'od. I had no I had no understanding of the significance of Salem and Radah, I still hadn't discovered Radah in the text. I just knew that the relationships that that in that first chapter, not only are things created, but they are created in relationship with each other mm. and all is well between the relationships. Mm. But it was only after, you know, literally like probably about seven more years of research and then conversations and talking with rabbinical scholars, being on panels with rabbinical scholars where I learned things from them, um, that I began to understand. First, it was Tov Me'od. I started to realize, oh my gosh, Tov, that word is not just about the goodness of the thing. In fact, the Hebrews really would not have read it that way because mm. they didn't place goodness inside a thing. They placed goodness between things. Mm. So goodness mm. for them was fundamentally ethical. It was fundamentally about how we live together in the world. Yes. It wasn't, it wasn't God's concern was not about how good I am. That was not something that God ever expected me to be perfect. That was not, that mm. was never God's expectation. Mm. God's, God's concern was in the relationship between all mm. created all created things. Mm. Um, it's like it's like a mother and a father who have a family, right? So if you have a family, let's imagine, okay, you have the Trinity, mm. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which is the mother. Hello, somebody. Even <laughs> Ruach is a feminine, yeah. a feminine yeah. now. That's right. Um, in in Genesis, so when you have a family and you have children, which creation is really the children of God. All of creation is yeah. Really the that's good. Of God. Yeah, because um, we are all created by God and um, in all, then you want your children to get along. You want relationship between your children to be really, really good. Mm, and that's mm. what you create them to have is good relationship. You don't want them to war against each other. That, that, that grieves the hearts of mothers and fathers more than anything else is when they see their children's relationships broken mm. or when their children's relationships get broken with them. Like that just... There's nothing more grievous, nothing on earth. Mm. And so I can imagine that God 
um, God, mother, fa- mother, father, son, um, when they look at um, when God looks at God's creation, God wants all mm. of God's creation to be in radically good relationship with each other and with God. Mm. And and so that word, the, that phrase actually, tov me'od, it means forcefully good. Yeah. And it's wow. not just talking about the things, it's talking about the relationship between God and us and mm. men and women and all genders and and, mm. and us and the rest of creation and all of creation and the way things work, the structures and systems that mm. guide and govern us, that it all worked to bless all um, in the beginning. Mm. And so, yeah, so, so, you know, that was the first word that I began to go, wait a minute. So this actually wow. confirms what we learned on the pilgrimage. Wow. Okay. Wow. Wow. And it starts at the beginning as well, doesn't it? Because it's before Genesis 3. Because often the, the four spiritual laws are like, you're a sinner. Uh, <laughs> no, that's you, exactly right. You start at the point of sin, which is not... So here's the the biggest problem with the four spiritual laws. Mm-hmm, yep. And the biggest problem, not only with the four laws, but with the typical white evangelical conception of mm-hmm. the gospel, is that it starts... It, it, is, it actually it doesn't start anywhere. It's not a story. It's not, it's not placed within the story mm, yeah, of God right. and God's yeah. people and God's creation. It's actually, um, it's, it's principles or, or, or quote truths that are mm. lifted from and extracted from the story and honestly can therefore be manipulated. Yeah. Because the story is the context and the, the story creates the meaning. The story is actually the, the, the thing that, that the writers of the story um, created it in the context of story that's right. so that we would understand it. We would yes, understand right. it. But if you lift it from story, then you can make it mean anything. Like, really, mm. you can make anything mean anything if you lift it from the story from which it came. Oh, so a- the four, absolutely, yeah. Right? So the four spiritual laws, um, you know, God bless them. I think they were trying to figure something out, but I think they got it wrong. I do. I just yeah. think they got it wrong. Yeah, totally. And... I think that if I were to if I were to answer the question now of, you know, yes, I do believe in sin. Absolutely. Sin is absolutely present. But what is sin? Mm. It's not our lack of perfection. That's a Greek conception of per, of sin. Mm-hmm. And we don't have a Greek religion. We have a Hebrew religion. Yeah. Come on um, now. It's good. Come on. Right. It's good. So, right. So the Hebrews would have understood sin to be whatever breaks relationship between yeah. us. Wow. Actions that we do that break relationship, mm. not me being unperfect. Because God, God is God, not us. Only God can be perfect, not us. So mm. I think that, that that's one of the reasons why, quite honestly, I think why the white evangelical conception of the gospel has borne us Trump in the mm. US. Mm. Because it has absolutely no no connection to how we live together in the world. You can be a, a, quote, Christian, a follower of Jesus, have invited Mm. Jesus into your heart and have and and also also vote for a politics, a way of being together in the world that crushes the image of God around you because it's not connected. Yeah. 
That's right. It's, it's, it's all taken out of context. And something in particular that comes to mind as well is that when it's, when it's not grounded in story, you miss one of the major arcs of biblical story or of the gospel, and that is that it's about the rule and reign of God on earth as it is in heaven. Because when it is about a ticket to a sky palace, then who cares how the world is run? Or as I've heard it said, you know, if Jesus is just the secretary of afterlife affairs, that means that he's not the Lord of creation. You can justify anything then. Yeah, it's really, really true. And mm. I mean, I think it's exactly true. And I think that the thing is, is that that we have we have a faith that for decades has been relegated to the ticket to heaven. And, it's, and we have also had prophets within that religion, within mm. that stream of the faith that have said, no, this is the wrong way to go. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, um, Dallas Willard's... Um, the divine conspiracy is all about that. Yes. His his divine conspiracy was actually the first inkling that I had that this is not this is not working. This is mm. not right. And that came out in the mid 1990s. That came out before my pilgrimage and way before the very good gospel. Mm. Um, but but it was in that book that he began to say, and he said explicitly, if you think that by saying this prayer at the back of the gold booklet, you're going to get a barcode that goes on your forehead that scans you into heaven, regardless of how you live in the world, regardless of how, how we act in the world, um, you have another thing coming. Um, because mm. the reality is, is that our, our grace, the grace that Jesus gives us is not cheap. Mm-hmm. It's not mm. cheap grace. It's expensive grace. Mm. It, it actually costs Jesus, Jesus' own life. Yeah. But yeah. more than that, it requires us now to follow Jesus mm. because the actual call of the actual scripture is not just to, to it's not just to believe in your head, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Um, even Romans, even Paul in Romans says, believe with your, I mean, believe in your head and speak with your mouth. Now, speaking with your mouth, confessing in the context of Rome, mm-hmm. which was a white supremacist, explicitly white supremacist, European empire mm. that had come in and colonized brown mm-hmm. people in yep. Jerusalem for those brown people to say that brown Jesus mm. hello yeah, yeah. was messiah and was the king of 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 the kingdom of god that would get them burning at the stake yeah. that would yep. get them being thrown to the lions that's right that would get them that would get them pain Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Pain. It would get them loss, loss of life, loss mm. of jobs, loss of loss of community that's because right. they were going against they were going against everything that that's Caesar right. set up for these brown people to believe about themselves and mm. himself. that mm. he was their papa, that he was their provider, that white people were the ones who were created to rule. And yes, that is what they explicitly believed. Mm-hmm. It's what Aristotle taught from the Greeks in his book on interpretation. Yep. It's what um, it's what the philosophers, um, Socrates um, and, and others believed at that time. Mm. Um, it was it was it was an explicitly white supremacist empire that brown Jesus, yep. Yep. who escaped not north but south in order to escape Herod and went mm. into Egypt to blend in. Hello. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Right? Wow. It was that wow. Jesus who wow. the white supremacist empire put on the cross mm. when he defied them. When wow. when it came out that he was actually claiming to be the king of the Jews, the king 
of of all. Yeah, that's right. That's the ultimate political affront to to empire and to the rulers that be. Yes. And here's the thing: race is political. Mm. Race is not. Race is not. It's actually not fundamentally about you know how you feel about Aboriginal people, how you feel about African Americans. It's not about you. Race is about the structures and the systems that are created in order to create a human hierarchy of belonging within a society. Wow. wow. In order to create in order to create privilege for some, others must be squashed. Others must be um, cre- um, pushed lower. Mm. And that's what race did. Race is a construct of colonization. Mm. Literally, a construct wow. of colonization. Um, and it, it was meant to ensure the colonizer's power. That's what mm. race was meant to do. Mm. So when Jesus, brown Jesus, mm actually stood before Pilate and said, I am. When, when Jesus, brown Jesus, got onto the cross mm. and turned to one of the prisoners next to him and said, today you'll be with me in paradise mm. because you could see who I am. Everybody wow. else, if you, if you read the text in, in Luke, um, mm. You'll see everybody else up to that point. Nobody knows who Jesus is. And mm. everybody's asking, who are you? Pilate, everybody, the mm. crowd, Pharisees, the Sadducees, um, you know, even going all the way back to Peter, you know, when he says, I, I do, I see who you are in Jesus, but not yet. Right. Mm. Um, from that point on, everybody's trying to figure out who he is. And then it is the criminal on the cross, not just the criminal, but the brown criminal on the cross wow. who sees brown Jesus is. Wow. Wow. And he says, hey, you will be with me in paradise. Up to that moment, when you get that moment, mm. you get, you are seeing, you are seeing not only a spiritual act of salvation, you are seeing mm. the freeing of the oppressed that mm. Jesus promised in the war. Wow. Wow. That's good. That's good. Wow. Wow. So what would you say then? Like if someone were to come up to you like today, and say, like, what is the gospel? What what would what would be your your summary of what the gospel is? I would say, in fact, I, I like to put it this way because you know the the question first came up for me in the context of my third great grandmother. Mm-hmm. So if I were to go back to her now and I were to go knocking on her door and say, great 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 grandma Leah, you know, first of all, nice to meet you. <laughs> <laughs> nice, <laughs> and, you know, and then and then secondly, I have really good news for you. This is what I would say. I would mm. say that the king of the kingdom of God has come. Wow. And he, brown Jesus, mm. who was politically black in his day because he was at the bottom of the hierarchy of human belonging in his society, mm. that brown Jesus has come to set the image of God free in you. Wow. Now, right now, mm. that the that brown Jesus has come to confront the kingdoms of men mm. that are hell-bent pushing the image of God on earth and warring with God for supremacy. I would tell her, in the end, great, great, great Grandma Leah, mm. King Jesus wins. Wow. Wow. And you, you 
you can win right now. You can choose to escape and not allow yourself to live according to the lie of enslavement anymore. Wow. You can choose to do as as many enslaved people did um, during that time. They they you had women. Now there's something incredibly profound about this because you know you have on one hand you have the value for life right but then if that life is born into slavery right mm. you don't you actually don't have a value for life wow. it's not a value for yeah if that life is born into um, into abject poverty it isn't life is not valued then mm. Mm. and so you had enslaved women who once giving birth and knowing that their children were going to be sold into slavery in the deep south, they killed their children. Mm. Like born children. Wow. Yeah. Wow. They they crushed their heads or they they smothered them to death, knowing, knowing mm. for them mm. and their logic. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. That one that they were created to exercise dominion and this is their baby. And they get to choose. They get to choose whether or not this baby wow. gets. They get to choose whether or not this baby is going to have a life of enslavement or not. Mm. Wow. And when they chose no, then there's only really one option because at that point, these children were being born into breeding farms, and they were going to be enslaved. They were they were being bred mm. to make money Goodness. for their master. So you have stories of some some enslaved women who literally smothered or crushed the heads of their children rather than give them the ability to be taken from them and enslaved. And you have other stories of enslaved women and men who escaped, who took dominion back, mm. who took the call and recognized their own capacity Mm. to exercise dominion over their own bodies. In fact, there's one really famous story of one enslaved person, I don't remember who or where it was, I think it might have been in Virginia, um, who wrote a letter. <laughs> he wrote mm. a letter to his master and just said, you know, uh, master, I'm leaving you because I, I, I don't want to be responsible for you being in sin anymore. Wow, I love that. <laughs> I Whoa. will not, I love, I love you too much. Wow. Let you be in anymore, so I'm leaving you. Goodness, and that's he, incredible. And he picked up and he escaped. He got out of there. He got out of Dodge. Oh, my goodness. That's amazing. And, like, this understanding of the gospel is, is, is so much bigger and deeper and more expansive because when it's about God's good shalom rule and reign on earth as it is in heaven, as the, seen through Jesus, like, this changes everything. I, I had this conversation with a friend the other day and he said something and I didn't respond to him at the time because it wasn't the right time to respond but we were talking about women in the ministry and he, he was just like oh you know I know I know some people have a view that women shouldn't be in ministry and I said oh I, I think that's really wrong and he says oh yes but you know it's it's not a gospel issue and I thought to myself well, actually if Jesus is king over all of creation 
then anything that doesn't surrender to the rule and reign of Jesus's good, loving kingdom is a gospel issue. Yes, it is. Because the question, the question is, is Jesus king? Mm. Yes. yes. Is Jesus the rule? Is Jesus? Because that, right. that is the good news. That's the right. coming of the kingdom of God is the good news. That's right. Because yeah. the kingdom of God confronts mm the hierarchies of human belonging that the kingdoms of men established through mm. domination in order to rule. Mm. You realize that in order to rule, kingdoms had to dominate the image of God on earth. Wow. Wow. In, in order, in order, in, let's take it, let's take it for real. In yeah. order for England to rule, in order mm. for there to be the establishment for <laughs> William the Conqueror, he mm. had to be a yeah. conqueror. Wow. He had to conquer the image of God wow. on that soil in order wow. for Australia to be established yep. as a yep. nation. Mm-hmm. First mm-hmm. of all, they had to conquer mm. the image of God that was already established on that continent in the in the indigenous people of that land. Yeah, yeah. they yeah. had to be conquered and then mm. controlled. So conquered and then confined and controlled. So now you're conquering, confining, and controlling the image of God mm. on earth. Goodness. And Goodness. Then, then in Australia, you use that land as a prison. So not only are you conquering, confining, and controlling mm. the Aboriginal mm-hmm. indigenous people, but now you're also using the yep. creation, land that God created, to mm. confine and control your own people. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You, you know, so... so the, the 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 imperial project is mm. a, a domination project. It is a project mm. about and must. It depends on mm. domination. Mm. There must God. be somebody dominated mm. in that project because mm. it is about control. It is about the capacity to control. Mm. And and in that project, whoever has the most control is king. Mm. Yep. But yep. you see. You, when the when that king is confronted with Jesus, mm. when that king is confronted, when white superior, white supremacist, um, imperial projects are confronted with brown Jesus, mm. who was colonized, the yeah. aboriginal Jesus. Yes, that's right. You see what I'm saying here? Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. Then yeah. that that it, the the imperial project cannot it must bow wow. the, the hierarchies of human belonging that it has created must fall they mm. must yes yes because brown jesus mm. does not let them stand mm. that's right that's right and like because we have a history where we have such a watered down gospel when you you remove jesus from being lord of all creation and therefore everything need to be to surrender to God's good shalom, image of God, empowering kingdom. Like when when it's just becomes abstract. When it get when it's about your ticket to heaven, you can justify anything, and that's that's the scary thing. And that's why, as you've pointed out before, you can have these type of governments that you have in the U.S. and 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 for some extent here as well in Australia and throughout the whole world, Brazil as well, the Philippines. Like, you, you can have these governments emerge and you can still have people who identify as Christian support them because of a distorted understanding of the gospel. That Exactly right. And that's scary. So with, with this more beautiful understanding of the gospel, I, I'm curious, what would repentance look like in this understanding of the gospel? Repentance, first and foremost, 
looks like bowing to brown Jesus. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's what it really does. It looks like bowing to brown Jesus. Repentance looks like the adoption of humility. I mean, the amazing thing is that it's in our scripture. Mm. I mean, the scripture itself says, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Would humble themselves. Mm. You know, the the I I do a talk right now a lot called the the four words that change everything, mm. and it's the four words that change everything that are actually the four words that are um, exegeted in the second chapter of my book, The Very Good Gospel, mm. and um, the fourth word that I that I bring out is the word demuth. It's the word likeness, mm. and it's all from Genesis one, right? So there's tov meod, which we talked about. That's very good. Um, mm. It's when God looks around and says, this is all really good, but it's not the things, it's the relationships that God is focused on. Mm. And therefore, sin is the breaking of any of those relationships, because if God says this is very good, then what what isn't very good is the breaking of, the, of that thing, of those relationships. Yeah. Then there's Salem, which is the image, the fact that we are all representative figures of God on earth, every mm. last human being, which mm. was the very first time in all of, of, of civilization that we know of, when where the image of God was placed inside all humanity, not just the kings and queens. Yeah, that's and, good. Right? And the call to exercise dominion, radah, that's the third word. Because if you didn't understand it with, with Salem, then let's make it clear here. We are all given the call and the capacity to exercise stewardship of the world, mm. to, to protect the world, to serve the world, um, mm. to cultivate the world, to make decisions that impact the world. So mm. when we make when we have a politics, when we have when we have conversations and make decisions about how the polis will live together in ways that that limit the capacity of, mm. of, of some people or people groups to exercise dominion, then mm. what we're doing is we're actually limiting the image of God on earth. Wow. We're we're wow. limiting the flourishing of the image of God on earth, right? So that's what we've talked about so far. But mm. that the fourth word is the word demuth and this is the word likeness we are made in the image and likeness of god the text says mm. and the word likeness is there to give us some humility mm. the the word likeness is there so that we would know we are like god but we are not god yeah wow yeah we are like god but we are not god mm. god mm. is god yes. and we are not and so i think that first and foremost for those who have um, who have ruled within these imperial projects and colonizing projects, mm. and for those who have benefited from them in the mm. aftermath, mm. Um, for those that are still not um, that are still uh, or that have been decolonized or mm. are still working toward that, mm. um, for those who benefit and those who rule, there must be a bowing to King Jesus, and that yeah. that. that requires an act of humility. It requires a renunciation mm. of the project to become God. Mm. Mm. It it requires wow. right? It requires that you lay down your arms against the image of God mm. in mm. your land. Yes. All images of God. Yes. And instead, repentance is not just about laying down arms, right? It's not just about confession. Mm. It's also about turning and walking in a whole new direction. That's right. And so what would walking in a new direction require? I think that, I think that each nation, I think that, you know, each community actually gets mm. to decide that. And especially the, those who have been oppressed get to decide what mm. it would look like. It looks like 
the very first and foremost thing it looks like is is recognizing and and obeying hmm. um, the dominion of those who have been crushed up to this moment. Mm. So recognizing and calling forth and bowing to mm. the call and the capacity of indigenous people in Australia mm. to mm. exercise stewardship of that land. In other yeah. words, to save for themselves what needs to be done. Yes, yes. So, I mean, I think in a concrete way, um, the the statement that was drawn up by the, by the nations, I think it's, is it? The right? statement from the heart, yes. Yep. Right, statement from the heart that was drawn up at Uluru, that yes. that like that they told you what mm -hmm. needs to be done in yep. that statement they said yep. this is what needs to be done so what would repentance look like in in its clearest form in australia and mm -hmm. for as a nation it would look like saying yes to the statement to the heart of the heart wow. it would say yeah. not saying but doing yeah yeah that's good that's good i like this approach as well lisa because it actually it contextualizes Jesus to every time and place and context. Like yes. it's that good liberation that asks the question, what would it look like for Jesus to be king in X, Y, Z area in X, Y, Z time and place? And what are the Jesus shaped cross shaped ways? How would we imp implement it in Jesus shaped and cross shaped ways? Like these are the type of questions should be asked. And yeah, that's actually really profound that, that you brought up the, the statement from the heart. Cause that's, I think really important especially in, in Australian context, which just, which just tells us, right, that the gospel truly does speak into every, everything and every, every time and place in history in its particular context. It really does. And, I mean, and of course it doesn't end there. That's a, that's, that, I think, is, mm. that's what yeah. it would really look like. Like, if you really, that's what it would really look like. But I also think that there's also, I think the reality is we have to deal with what happened. Mm. We can't, our, our understanding of lordship of Jesus does mm. not happen apart from our own stories, from the realities of what what we went through. Mm. We, as in a collective people, as in all of us, went through, and the decisions that we made, and the impact of those decisions on each other, mm. right? And the reality that within the Australian context, that 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 you had literally is mm. it centuries. Of of the of that of that land being used as a prison a prison nation yeah I mean yeah. prison states so you can't have centuries of of a prison nation prison state and not have violence become mm, the mm -hmm. norm that's right become right you can't you can't have that and also um, having it it you you can't have that and not have violence between genders yep, yep. you can't have that and have not have um, gender-based violence become right. a norm, right? That's right? So, because you you have established a nation based on violence, like That's right. the whole yep. thing is based on violence and control and confinement, and and those who are hurt hurt. Yes, right. That's right. So you have a nation full of men who mm. were hurt in those prisons, mm. who then hurt people when they came out, mm. and they were yes. set free and given land, right? Yes. Um, yes. And and so you have lots of repentance that needs to happen, mm. and you have to examine then the mm. power structures, the 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 hierarchies of human di dignity and belonging that were established by empire, and you must renounce them. Mm. You must renounce them if mm. you were to come under the lordship of Jesus, Jesus, Brown Jesus, yes. Jesus, the the actual Messiah. 
Yes, um, yes. Not the one that was drawn up in the halls of Europe, in the halls of empire, mm, drawn mm. up by Constantine. Not that Jesus. I'm talking about the Jesus, the Jesus of Palestine, not yes. the Jesus of Constantine, yes. as my friend Renee August says, right? So Constantine. So um, when when looking at this, it really requires, it would require those who are currently in places of power, in the, the locuses of power, whether they be the church or government or civil society in mm. Australia and here in the U.S., mm. um, to actually do do the work of yes. learning the actual story. Not yes. the story that you tell yourselves, but the story that happened. Yeah, and in order good. to do that, you have to go to those to whom it happened. You have to go to the Aboriginal people and mm. hear their stories. You have mm. to go to women and hear their stories. You have to go um, to the land mm. and hear its story. Yeah, it's good. Uh, because the stories are being told. Yes. The question yes. is just whether or not you're listening. Wow, that's that's incredible. And it reminds me of Jesus, like the intimacy of Jesus. Like you have the, the big picture proclamation of the kingdom found in Jesus, and yet that contextualizes to intimate encounters where, where he listens and he hears stories and he weeps and he, he comforts and confronts as well, and confronts. You know, it's, 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 it's an all-embracing all reality of, of the full personality of Jesus and how, we, and how he interacts with every single situation and how it needs to be dealt with. That's and, right. and I love how you use the word connect because here's the thing, mm -hmm. Nathan, is that shalom Mm. At its fundamental essence is about connection. Mm. Mm. I mean, shalom is about the overwhelmingly good connection yes. between all things, the, the connectedness of all relationships. And sin is whatever breaks those relationships. That's right. So what, what is required is repentance in order to repair those relationships. And you can't just repair those relationships by edict. You have mm. to listen. That's there right. has to be a listening process in the mending. The mending process requires listening. Oh, that's good. I'm curious on something that I know some people often bring up to me, and I'm curious to know what you would say to this, and, and that is where would you say the cross factors into the gospel? Because, of course, this is obviously a big thing, especially from, from, a, from an evangelical background. Of course, you, yourself identify the evangelical and, and the like. And it's obviously because it, it is very a center of, within a lot of our thoughts. I'm curious where, where the cross factors in the, the good news then. Here's the thing is I believe, first of all, Romans tells us that um, as far deep as the, as the sin of Adam took us, as the sin of the first human beings, Adam being Adam, the mm. first humans, right? As the as the as far deep as the as his first sin took us, that's how far high the the cross of Jesus and the mm. resurrection actually mm. took us in mm. terms of the reversal of the fall. Yeah. So I believe that the king of the kingdom of God came to earth to confront the kingdoms of men and was strung up. Yeah. Wow. And was strung up. And I believe that the violence, that the empire, the imperial power mm. enacted against Jesus was a manifestation of the violence mm. Mm. of the war against the supremacy of God. Mm. Yes. Wow. But God won. Yeah, it's good. 
but God won. Mm. I don't, I, I, I was telling another group yesterday, actually, also mm. on, well, on Zoom, right? So yeah, yeah. Uh, I was telling another group that when I get to, to heaven, I'm going to ask Jesus about the substitutionary atonement thing, right? Like, <laughs> I, 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 I believe that the cross is essential. Mm. I believe that, uh, that the cross is transformative. I believe that it's on the cross that the work of Jesus brought us from an era of darkness into an era of light. And by darkness, I actually don't mean um, just, you know, straight up evil. What I mean is groping. Yeah. What I mean is not being able to see clearly. What mm. I mean is is actually also being under, not having the capacity even because of the fall to choose mm. love, to choose reconnection. Um and and death reigning because no one had beat death up to mm. that point, right? Mm. Like, yeah. um, but it was then it was in when Jesus himself beat death. Yes, that's it right. It was when Jesus confronted the one power that came to us in the context of the fall, mm. right? Death did not exist in Genesis one or Genesis two. Mm. Death exists in Genesis three. It's a post-fall reality, mm. and Jesus, when Jesus beat death, yes. I think Jesus shows us that King Jesus wow, has the good. ability to beat all of the things, all yes. of the powers that, that come against the image of God and the wellness of God's creation on earth. Wow, wow. yes. And so I believe that, the, that, the, that you cannot get the resurrection without the cross. Mm. And so the cross is the thing that you must, you must go through death in order to get to resurrection. Yeah, that's good. And so, so Paul, Paul even tells us that the real point of celebration is mm. the resurrection. Mm. And um, scholars have actually done lots of research on the first century church. Mm. And what they find is that in that first century church, and actually all the way up to the third century, actually, until Constantine, mm. you, you saw that the image that, that, um, that the people of God, that the church um, put forward as the center point of its faith was mm. actually not the cross. It was the garden. It was the tree of life. Oh, that's good. Wow. That was the center point of their worship. It was. That's what they saw as the the thing. Like, that's wow, what that's good. Were. And that is why. Why did they do that? Because that is the symbol that the scripture itself leaves us with on the last page of the Bible. That's right. Yes. And, and the last page of the Bible, it is the tree of life with its that's 12 right. Buckets Ooh. of fruit for all yes. the nations, and the yes. leaves of the tree are the healing for the nations. Yeah. That was the symbol that we rallied around, that we put around our necks per se, right? Um, oh, in so the, good. the first century church, but it was isn't it interesting that it was Constantine? It was it was white supremacist empire that actually made it the cross that 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 refocused the 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 focus of our faith onto the point of execution of brown jesus mm, hello yeah wow. yes onto the point of execution of the one who would who would actually defy the white empire wow that isn't that interesting i don't have answers i have more questions that i've answered yes now. that's right yes and, that yes, is, right. and i am happy to say that because i am approaching the text with humility mm, knowing that what knowing that what i know how i what I see now has made what I used to believe mm. not able to lay down because mm. I see too much to let mm. it lay down that mm. it's just about substitutionary atonement. Mm. I think it's about more than that now. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. 
I, I think that's that's an incredible insight. It actually got me thinking about um, that text in in John 20 when Jesus had risen again from the dead and Mary's at the tomb of Jesus and she's weeping. And then she turns and it says in John's account that Mary, quote unquote, mistaken, quote, Jesus as the gardener. But I thought about it once. I thought about, well, actually, what if Mary was right? Maybe Jesus is the gardener planting the seeds of God's new creation. You know, the seeds like that of the tree of life. Yes. Yes. And in fact, there's even evidence for that really in Paul's letters. Mm. When Paul is writing, I believe it's in 1 Corinthians, where he says that we are all a new creation. right? right. So. But yes. it's not a new creation. It's a new, the actual word is a new act of creation. Yes, yes, yes. It's mm. a new act of creation. So the way that we should be reading that is that when we, when we bow to King Jesus, mm. when we decide to bow to King Jesus, brown Jesus, mm. Mm. in other words, anti-empire Jesus, anti-white supremacist Jesus, Mm. Um, anti-colonization Jesus, the Jesus that wants the image of God to flourish in every corner of the earth, not just in some. Mm. That When we bow to that Jesus, yes. then creation mm. is being born anew. That's good. It's a new act. I, in my, in my, it's like a new tree was born in creation when I mm. bowed to Jesus. Wow. Wow. I love that. And and it's it's such a better hopeful future as well than than merely going up to heaven, rather when it's about new creation and new heavens and new earth, which I love the Greek as you pointed out. It's it's not like uh, um this might be a, be a really cheesy and and, and terrible terrible uh, kind of picture, but I I want described it to people like Remember that remember that TV show Pimp My Ride? Have you ever seen that that show? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like the 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 whole point of, of Pimp My Ride wasn't that they took a car and destroyed the car and then made a, you know just did a brand new one, but rather they restored the car. They 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 made it new. Um and I like in the Greek it's there's there's different words for new and and one of those words is is as you point out it's it's about kind of a new act of creation. It's about a a restoration of creation that that makes it so new. But, but still with the continuity that God's a good God who doesn't just make something and throw it away, you know? God, God's a God who, who makes things new. And, like, and that's, that's good news, right? Right. Mm. Right. Yeah. So this has been such a great conversation. And mm. I, I really do believe that. I believe that as the world mm. um, begins to, the church, as the church yeah. begins to re- re-examine and actually interrogate yes. its its previous understandings of Jesus and the mm. gospel and even how we are supposed to be doing church together because yes. so many of those previous understandings were drawn in the halls of empire um, mm. by people who lived in nations that were slave traders, mm. by people who lived in nations who at that moment were committing genocide around the world. Mm. At that moment, they were committing genocide around the world. Mm. And yet their concepts of the gospel did not stop their nations from doing that. Mm. Did not stop, quote unquote, Christian people from owning slaves or or investing in the slave trade or um, becoming some of the first settlers in this in this, quote, new land that had already had people living in it for thousands of years. Mm. Like that's and not seeing them. Yeah. 
Yeah, not wow. seeing the humanity in them. If, if we can go back, if we can go back and re-examine the way that we are engaging the scripture, recognizing mm. the limited view of those who taught us to see it. Mm. And I believe going then to those who live closest to the social location of the ones who wrote the text mm. and the ones who, who to whom the text was written, mm. brown, indigenous, yeah, colonized, enslaved people, Yes. then I think we'll be able to see more in the text and more mm. about our actual faith. Yes, our actual yes. faith in brown Jesus than we ever have before, and mm. I, I think I think in that with that, if we do that, the mm. world has a chance. The Amen. world has a chance. Yes, yes. Oof, that's good, Lisa. Thank you so much. I feel like your your work and and the work that that people are doing to to decolonize our gospel to what is just the true gospel, the very good gospel, is just such an important work, and the work that you do, and the work with Freedom Road as well, like. I'm just so thankful for your witness in the world. Thank you. Thank you so mm. much. I'm, I'm honored by that. And it was such, such a pleasure to know, to be, to meet you. Mm. And also really, yes. you know, to meet you. And then also to, to be with so many amazing um, men and women of faith in Australia when I was there a couple yeah. of years ago. And yeah. I am really counting the days till I get to come back. I want to come back. <laughs> oh, I know. It'll be, it'll, be, it'll be wonderful to have you back. I, I, we, we've, we've had some wonderful conversations tonight. And I previously remember a conversation we had before when I was driving you around back in Perth. And I think every single time I, I'm, I'm left a different person. So, so thank you so much, Lisa. Oh, thank you, Nathan. Well, that was today's episode with Lisa Sharon Harper. To find out more about Lisa, follow her on either Facebook at facebook.com slash lisasharonharper.page or Instagram and Twitter at Lisa Harper. Also, find her at her website at lisasharonharper.com. Also, check out the work of Freedom Road at freedomroad.us.